we're not only warriors, but we have to be very brave warriors. We can't back down in front of the old dragons that appear, the old monsters in the mind. Many years ago there was this song called The Monster Mash. Do you remember it? <laughs> Don't do the monster mash. Don't engage with the monster, but see it for what it really is. It's just an, an artifact, an, a figment of our, of our mind. It's a creation. It's like a thought. And then whatever we are afraid of, we give it a name, and then we cower in front of it as if it were a monster. But if we can rouse up enough energy to stand our ground and create a frontier for ourselves, like, this is my land, this is not mine, but like the Buddha sitting in meditation and saying, I have a right to be here tomorrow. You know, Marlon, the archetypal devil or demon, or he was actually a deva, but very misguided. And he wanted power, and he thought he was the most powerful, so he was going to undo the Buddha. That was his project, very deluded. However, it's a wonderful prototype for us because we, we come across so many kinds of Mara. And when there's a Mara, we have to name it, monster, dragon, just something big and scary. Big in the heart, scary in the heart, instead of catapulting, crashing running, trembling, fearing it, is just to stop for a moment, stop and say, this is Mara, this is a monster. This is the mind creating out of the fear an, an energy that seems impenetrable, that seems overpowering. But if we notice that the mind has enacted this, and we then believe it's like a play, it's a fear, and we're the protagonist. So I'm going to fight. And what did the Buddha tell us? Not to struggle against these overpowering currents, but stand in the middle, stand, and know what they are, recognize, acknowledge, oh, this is just a guise, this is just an old energy, and a belief a figment of the mind that we don't have to take to be real, because it's not real. In fact, what is it? What is it? What is it? We have to ask, what is it? What is it? It's impermanent. We have to know this. By studying enough, by meditating enough, by knowing phenomena arising in consciousness at every sense door, whether it's visual, audio, taste, smell, touch, or mental thought, thinking, imagining. We know it's impermanent. These are conditioned by ancient experiences or recent experiences or 20 years ago. Or when we were kids and we couldn't possibly fight these things because we were small. But now we've grown up and we, we know what we can do. We know how we have these tools. We've been making effort to develop these skills, and we have to apply them. Like if you go to the doctor when you're sick, and he gives you medicine, and then you don't take it. No, 
or you forget, and then you feel sicker. Well, the Buddha is our primary doctor. He's our super doctor, superpower doctor. And he's giving us the tools to develop superpower wisdom. But we don't listen. We forget. Because we're not, we're not hearing it from the right place. We're hearing it intellectually instead of here, where it penetrates, percolates down into the whole being. And then we, we do, we become strengthened and empowered by that. But we have to be mindful. Mindfulness is remembering the instructions. Remembering them, being diligent, applying them, and being very particular, specific, meticulous, discriminating in aiming correctly. In aiming and having enough right effort, that, that heroic energy, to stand our ground. Aim well, and then watch. This is a conditioned phenomena. It's impermanent. It's dukkha. It's, it hurts. Unpleasant, unpleasant. And it's empty. Oh, is it really empty? Well, just keep watching. What is solid about it? Does it get more puffed up as we resist? Yeah. Does it change as we watch? Yes. Does it even diminish? Yes. Does it sometimes disappear? Yes. Then how could it be solid? How could it be true? How could it be real? So when we study our experiences and the phenomena that arise at the six sense doors and we see their insubstantiality, then we stop believing them so much. We stop grasping them. We stop clinging to them and creating out of them a whole dynamic of me and that. Then the me is edified, the self, sense of self becomes bigger, and the opposition becomes bigger, and there's, there's war. But in fact, when we're doing all this, it is like being a warrior. And wisdom is our great weapon. Because with, with enough insight, incisive, penetrating wisdom, into those phenomena, we can slice up that theater with our wise discrimination, with our yoni so manisikara, wisely reflecting, like a director in a movie, cut. We have to direct the mind, direct it, and then see for ourselves what is the result of doing that, and see what is the result of trembling, feeling agitated, feeling intimidated, uh, feeling uh, diminished, disempowered. We just repeat that cycle over and over and over again. We get used to it. We think that's, that's how we must act in this interplay of forces. That's our part. Our part is to run or to believe in it so much that we are frozen or numb, or frightened, or we fight, and we're overpowered, we're swept away. Like in the flood, swept away. So, straining in the wrong way, struggling in the wrong way, 
No, but standing our ground, that's the kind of energy. Like a lion knows it's in charge of the, the land or the territory. The lion is the queen or king of the, all the other creatures because it has so much power. And we don't know our own power, our own strength. It's a strength that comes from wisely seeing and not being fooled anymore by the charade of what consciousness keeps throwing in our direction, in our face. So to face up to the so-called contrived, concocted enemy, we just have to breathe in and out and come back to understanding things for what they truly are and persisting in our effort, recognizing that the energy within us really is like the, the spring that comes from the pond, the water that comes from the pond and flows down through the mill with such a force. It keeps rushing down, rushing down. Like, this is like a little Niagara Falls, little baby Niagara. But the, the Dhamma energy that we actually can tap into is a kind of Niagara. It's endless. It's a most precious and inexhaustible resource. We only have to give it our attention and understand how to tap into it through our mindfulness and wise attention. Seeing with and asking, what is it? What is it? Ah, it's another one of those consciousness-produced phenomena based on the five sense doors in the mind. Where's my wisdom story? Chop. Cut. And then, ha, ah, it's just tingling. It's sensation. It's tightness. It's burning. That we could deal with on the level of the body. If we find the counterpart of our mental monster, it's, it can be something in the body that's a tightness, that's an angst coiled up in a knot in the throat from years of holding back, of not knowing what kind of a warrior we really are. And there is so much dignity in knowing that we can do this. And through our virtue, if we really live in a clean way, pure way, an unsullied life, more and more, that also strengthens us. And of course, the faith. And these are two of the primary qualities of a sotapanna. Well, that's what we're, we're developing that. We're developing the ability to dive into the stream of the Dhamma and never come out. We never have to leave that. That becomes our natural course through this realm as an enterer of the stream of Dhamma. Once we can get fully into the stream, we need never revert to our old habits. But until we do that, it's so easy for us to revert to old habits of fear, reacting, retreating, running, freezing, numb, uh, disempowered, disappointed, distressed, stressed, sweating, straining, struggling, discouraged to the point where what's left, what life is empty, life is, feels futile. 
Life is not futile. This life is a gift. This life is for us to discover this possibility and fully develop our ability to unfold, mature, and walk the path to completion, to freedom. That's why this path is so important, and to think of ourselves as a great being, a being, a disciple. A disciple means we take on this discipline and we practice. The discipleship means we train, and training is a long, it could be long for some. You know the four kinds of training. There's the long and painful, the short and painful, the long and painless, the short and painless. So whatever our little backpack, our little karmic bundle prescribes, that we, we have to just accept that. This lifetime is going to be long and painful. And we just do it because that's how it is. And it's like if you're a mountain climber, anybody here do mountain climbing? There's a lot of climbers in BC. Rock climbers, too, they climb up these cliff faces that are vertical. Crazy. Anyway. (laughs) This is like a vertical cliff face. So you need special cleats and ropes and all that equipment. And what we have through the tools the Buddha gives us is, is similar. It's a parallel to climbing up a vertical cliff face. But we are not crazy. We are very wise to do this. And sometimes it feels just like a gentle slope. Oh, I could do this, no problem. And then suddenly you run into some really fierce looking beast and you want to run down the mountain. Don't. All the energy that you've put into the path is with you. You will not lose a step. Just keep going. And so you labor, you you work, and you try, because to complete this energy, it has to be persistent. It can't, you, you can't, it may be flag. We all have our down moments, and it may be in cycles. But if you work consistently over years and years, you notice that the discouragement, the disparagement, you know, they might return, but get longer, and the intensity gets less. It decreases over time. And the tears, yeah, if ever, if the tears come, often they're tears of joy, because suddenly it feels like it's closer. You're a little closer. And you, you feel inspiration. You're getting closer and closer to the river, the river of truth, the stream of the path of awakening. And you're ready to, we're preparing ourselves to dive into it. So this energy should be used to, not just to start, not just to persist, not just to be diligent when the rapids are so frightening, to keep going, not let our little boat tip over, but to culminate. It has to be all the way to the end, a culminating heroic effort, a culminating strength of energy. And we need, for that, 
We need companionship. We need spiritual friends. They are 100% of the path. Rare indeed, I don't know that one can do this alone. We need friends, we need sangha, we need community that will walk with us, that will tell us, hey, come on, you can do it. Give us an encouraging word, remind us what we how far we've come and how well we we're doing and how strong we are and that life is precious. So then we can rejoice, we contemplate the blessings and we feel joy in the heart and that gives us more strength to keep going, walk on, work hard. Work, but also be creative and, and take joy from it. Like, this is a wonderful thing. Be generous in the way that it's done so that joy can come and we can share that joy. We rejoice for those that have gone in front. We rejoice for those that share the landscape of their awakening with us. Because sometimes in the monastery we can be morose, shuffling around. And we need the joys, like we need to see the, the funny interplay of the birds and the insects. Like we have a bird feeder, and these hummingbirds, they like it especially for them. The other birds don't usually come to this feeder, but regularly the hummingbird comes. And you know how fast they move their wings very speedy. You can barely see the movement because it's so fast and they're teeny. Well, we sit there on the front porch watching the hummingbird, but if you look, they fly away. But if we sit there very quietly eating out of our alms balls, and then they come and you can hear the wings and you sort of peek. They keep eating, they keep feeding, and then they get used to us being there. So eventually we just watch them. One day, a swallowtail butterfly came to the hummingbird feeder, and this butterfly stuck its proboscis into the feeding hole and fluttered and fluttered for a really long time. And we thought, what on earth is going on? We're sucking up all the sugar water from this five minutes at least. And we thought, this is wish we had a cat room, right? Anyway, when it was finished, it was so heavy. It really, it just couldn't lift its body. <laughs> it was falling down and so we were laughing. Like. So sometimes the path is just full of the most delightful phenomenon, right under your nose. But we have the time. Because we have the time to appreciate, to stop and see these things. Monastery time is really expansive. It's like an accordion. When something like that happens, you can just stop. Wonderful to see. It's about energy, about going the whole way, and not losing the plot, and bringing joy into the practice, because without joy, Without metta, we're not going to be able to tap into this resource of this endless waterfall, surging, surging energy that can come to us. We need to develop that loving kindness. 
We need to forgive difficult conditions. We need to forgive each other when people we're living with or people that come to the monastery or people that um, we have to deal with, workers or the delivery people, anyone. The world. The world keeps coming through our gate. You think we're away from the world? People think, oh, it's so peaceful here. You don't have to face the world. You're escaping from the world. No, you cannot escape from the world. The world is here. It's old age, sickness, and death is, is there with you all the time. And we have to face it. We face it. And each other's high points and low points, as we talked about today, that's what happens. And you share that. You share the joys and the tribulations, the trials. And then, like when we had a fire last year in the workshop, it's amazing how everybody suddenly rushed forth and grabbed what had to be grabbed and turned off the electricity, unplugged the appliance. It was a clothes dryer that caught fire because it had some rags in it that had been used to, uh, to clean some mold with OxyClean and they had spontaneously combusted and no one noticed the smoke pouring out until it was pretty bad. We all just came forward and did that and we had the strength to pick up heavy things and what you can't do when, you, when there's fear behind what you're doing. So we underestimate what we're able to do. And then when it was all finished and done, we realized, wow, that was very fortunate how blessed we were. And we felt the, the companionship, the friendship, and how much we had risen together to face this challenge. So as community, we could do this. And in the same way, how delicious it is when we come together to watch the swallowtail butterfly sipping nectar out of a hummingbird feeder and laughing. It's just so delightful. And these, these are the things that nourish our, our common ground, our common aspiration to realize Nibbana, the deathless. Because without joy, without metta, that loving, that beautiful goodness and goodwill of our virtuous efforts and energies shared together on the path, forgiving each other, not demanding and expecting perfection from anyone, but just forgiving conditions as they arise and beginning again, refreshing each other with our forgiveness. And then when we have to leave to go on a trip, we leave everything, we relinquish our cabin, we arrange everything as if we're never going to come back. Because that's, that's our practice. If you go on a journey, you don't know what's going to happen. In fact, every day when I wake up, I think, oh, another day. I'm so lucky. And I rise out of my coffin. Because at night when I go to sleep, I imagine this is my deathbed. I may never wake up. This is a very important way of practicing. Each day is a lifetime journey. Each day is a, a precious opportunity to practice the noble qualities of the path. 
bringing to it faith, energy, mindfulness, the focusing, steadying the mind, concentrating on developing the jhana factors, the, the joy factor, the lessening the thinking, giving up thoughts, focusing, focusing, steadying, single-minded, one-pointedness, perfecting mindfulness, until we go deeper than just a subtle bliss or a very percolating bliss to a subtle happiness. And then we realize a depth of stillness in the heart. And then from that, we have the equanimity to deal with any, anything that arises, any memories, any harsh words, or difficult situations, unexpected sickness, the, the challenges of the path don't come because they announce themselves. The hardest ones come unannounced and take us by surprise. But if we practice in this way, we're always ready. We're poised like a lion. We're courageous, we're ready. We're here for that to mature wisdom in the heart. It's like the plowing of the field, planting seeds and then tending to them, planting the seeds of awakening and watering them, and they grow. This is the garden of the fruits of the path to be developed. And the energy, this heroic energy, summons us to complete the pilgrimage. We're pilgrims, all of us. And it's a holy path, whether you're a householder or in robes, it doesn't matter, the path is whole, holy, it's a whole path, and it's a holy path. So we, we treat it with great veneration and reverence for those who walk before us, for those who have completed the path from the ancient times until now, and especially to the Buddha. Thank you for listening.